When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Hey YA. From great new books to favorite classic reads, from news to the latest in in on-screen adaptations, Hey YA is a bi-weekly podcast here to elevate the exciting world of young adult lit. Hey YA is a bookwrite podcast hosted by me, Kelly Jensen, and Eric Smith. We're recording on Friday, September 1st, 2017, and it's our very first episode. First episode. I know. Celebrate, right? So exciting. This is the part where we have to give our listeners a heads up that any weird noises we are aware of and that there are probably animals of some sort. Yes, we have a, a wild, excited corgi running around, uh, as well as other furry pets. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So um, we're aware they're there, and we hope that you have fun trying to distinguish what animal is making that particular noise. <laughs> So, Eric, uh, tell me, how you doing? What's going on in your world? Oh, things are really good. You know, just gearing up for, for various books and, uh, and, the, and the baby that is that is on his way this month. Yes. Um, yeah, life is about to get very exciting. Um, soon it won't just be uh, a corgi you hear in the background. It may <laughs> also be a small child. Um, and, you know, just trying to read whatever I can when I have the time. Uh, I recently picked up... Uh, Alexander Duncan's uh, book called Blight that, that just came out earlier this year um, or earlier this month rather uh, solely based on the fact that the back reminded me of the video game Fallout with this sort of propaganda-y dystopian looking poster on it um, which tells you that my interests uh, you know, definitely skew geeky and, and, and video gamey so I'm excited to, uh, to check it out. What about you? What are you, what are you doing? So I have a week-long vacation starting on Sunday, and I am, like, frantically going through my piles of books trying to figure out (laughs) what gets to come with me and what I want to, like, blow through. Um, And I'm I'm still reading Vincent and Theo by Deborah Heligman, Mm -hmm. which uh, is a nonfiction book about Vincent Van Gogh and his brother Theo, who had a really close relationship. Oh. it's a really cool, like, setup of the book, too, because it's set up sort of like a gallery and different sketches of these two um, two men and sort of how their relationship grew and developed over the course of their lives. Um, so I'm hoping to finish that before heading out. And then, honestly, I'm just, like, piling horror together because nothing says good vacation like horror. Yes. <laughs> and packing as many books as you can instead of packing, I don't know, things like pants. Or... Right. I mean, you could pick up pants at the store. Like, you need more books just in case because you never know, you know, you might finish 10 in the two days you're gone. It's true. So nothing would stink more than not having having that backup. I know. <laughs> <laughs> like, you can wear the same pants many days in a row. Yeah, jeans are self-cleaning, basically. So you're, you're fine. <laughs> um. 
so the very first thing that we wanted to talk about, the very first like topic that we thought would be worth digging into a little bit here on this brand new YA podcast is pretty simple in terms of what the question is, but super complex in terms of the answer. And that is this. Eric, can you tell me what YA is anyway? Oh, goodness. That question. Um, it's like when someone asks you to like define love, you know, uh-huh. uh, it's like, oh, yeah, there's so many, so many definitions. Um, so, yeah, uh, defining YA is, uh, is, is pretty difficult. You know, I, I like to think about um, Eugene Myers, E.C. Myers. Uh, he has this really great quote where he talks about how YA is a, uh, a young person's discovery of their world uh, and their place in it. Um, and for me, that's the best definition uh, of YA and what makes a good YA book. It's seeing a teenager uh, go from discovering who they are, uh, discovering the world around them, and then figuring out, uh, you know, what they're going to be in this world, how, what kind of person they're they're going to become. Uh, and I realize in saying this that there are a lot of adult books uh, with teen characters that sort of tell these these sort of similar stories, and I'm sure we'll dig into that um, in a minute. Uh, but for me, it's all about it's all about that teenage character uh, and their journey. You know, those those adult books that skew down are written for adults. Uh, YA books are written for written for teenagers, even if lots of adults like you and me uh, voraciously read them. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's one of those things. The the definition of YA that I kind of came to in a very singular way. In working in libraries. So mm-hmm. I served as a teen librarian for a number of years. And for me, at the very beginning, why was books published for those readers who are between 12 and 18? Um, doesn't necessarily mean that's who the only readers were, but rather like who the publishers saw as the intended audience. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, on a very basic level, that's what YA is. But as we know, and as... I think any reader of YA kind of has figured out it's really not that simple. And there's a lot of wondering why something is labeled YA and why something is labeled adult or middle grade instead. Um, You know, and and for me, I think now that I've read so much more and have thought about this so much more, it comes down to voice and perspective. So for me, a YA novel is very immediate and sort of immersive. Like, you are in that character's world immediately. Um, and you're sort of feeling around with them as they find their place in it and who they are within this world, whatever that world is. And for what I've seen in adult books featuring teen characters, it's a little bit more reflective and distant. Not that it's necessarily, like, old and wise, but it's written with such a way that the character understands that there's a bigger world out there mm-hmm. and that yes they fit into that bigger world but it's not necessarily their mission to figure out who they are in that world yeah and also you know jump off that sometimes those books aren't really centered around the teenager you know mm-hmm. I, I think about like the night circus I think it's just such a great example because that tends to uh, skew younger quite often like I see it pop up on YA lists all the time and it, it's not a YA book right um and when you read that book, there's the there's chapters full of you know ancient wizards and you know, grown <laughs> people. Uh, so it's very clearly not for teenagers, um, even though some of the characters tend to be uh, a bit younger in the book. Yeah, there's a whole I think category of books that 
we look at as YA crossovers, so the sorts of books that YA readers would love, and The Night Circus is certainly one of them. Ready Player One's another one. Oh, yes. Um, you know, these are books that have huge appeal to readers who love YA, and when you start thinking about what that even means, for me it comes back to voice and point of view. Like, mm-hmm. the reason that these are so attractive to people who skew towards reading YA is that they have something in that voice and perspective that is very similar to what they're seeing in traditionally published YA books. Yeah, no, I I agree. (laughs) (laughs) There's a a really great quote from um, Andrew Carr, who's an editor, and he's at Dutton right now. He's edited um, E.K. Johnston is one of his authors, Stephanie Keene's another one of his authors, and he'll be publishing Melinda Lowe's next book as well. And the the quote he has said that has always sort of stuck with me is that why is a state of mind and not an age range, which is such a neat way to think about it. And yet it's, as you're thinking about it, you're like, that's also a (laughs) non-answer. Like, what does it mean? What is a YA state of mind? Mm. Is it voice? Is it perspective? Is it something with pacing? Is it something with style? Um, And then you think about the sorts of books that he edits, and I I look at Stephanie Keene specifically, her books would do really well as adult, too. Yeah. So how do you make that distinction? You know, what what is it that makes hers a YA versus an adult book? And Mm -hmm. and that's something, like, I I have no idea. (laughs) Yeah, so this is our uh, this is our like ten minute kind of answer to, to sum up what YA is. Um, yeah, it's hard to define. You just kind of know it when you uh, when you see it. Yeah, I mean, you could always say it's kind of like porn. You know it when you see it. You know, and um, the more you read, the more you sort of find these pieces of the voice that stick with you, or pieces of the storytelling style, or just like the way an author you know, presents a story like, you're like, oh, yeah, that's that's definitely a YA or it's definitely not a YA. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and that YA has been around for 50 years now. This is the quote unquote 50th anniversary with um, S.E. Hinton's The Outsiders having been published 50 years ago this year, um, even though there were YA books before that, but not in sort of the same you know, publishing sense. Um, And it it gets me thinking a lot about those classics that we've all read or talked about and where they might fit in in the YA world. Mm -hmm. Like, what makes Catcher in the Rye adult versus YA? Do we even know? Hmm. I don't. I don't think we know. Do we know? I don't know. I mean, it (laughs) it, it was published as an adult book, but I've seen it on so many YA lists and I wonder sometimes, like, if YA had been a bigger category when that book was originally published would it have been YA it might have been what about um have you read House on Mango Street I haven't you know it is it is very high up on my why haven't you read this yet list especially (laughs) since it's so short isn't it only like a it's like a 120 page book right yeah it's short I just read it last year so I just got to it not too long ago too and that's another one of those stories like it's told from a I think she's in middle school and then through high school Mm -hmm. um in the story and reading it you're like this is I see how this could be seen as a YA book, but it was published as adult. Um, and, and, you know, they read it in high schools and talk about it in high school classes. And I always wonder, like, okay, if YA had been bigger when that was originally published, would it have been YA? I don't know. Yeah. And I wonder what that label does, if anything, in terms of 
like having appealed to teenagers, you know, mm -hmm. would, would they more readily pick it up on their own if it was labeled as YA or um, would it not be taught in schools as much if it was YA? I don't, it's hard to say. Yeah, no, it's interesting. Should we use that as our segue? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> so, Eric, have you heard about this new Lord of the Flies all-female remake? Oh, goodness, I have. Um, and it kills me because, I mean, as you know, there's there's already a, a book <laughs> out there uh, <laughs> that could easily be, uh, you know, adapted instead. For listeners who are wondering what that book is, it's be <laughs> It's Beauty Queens by Libba Bray, who, um, when she saw the news, she tweeted something along the lines of, I'm listening, um, <laughs> with her trademark sort of humor on it. Um, so one of the things that has really been, like, knocking at me with this is it's going to be an all-female remake, and the writers behind it are two white dudes. <laughs> and I just, you know, I pause and I think, like, how would they render a cast of female characters in that same situation as the characters in Lord of the Flies. Like, how? how? <laughs> like, I, you know, I can't even wrap my head around the idea of it being made, like, remade at all. Um, thinking in terms of, like, from a contemporary storytelling perspective, how do you do that? How do you think about the context of everyday life now and all the intersections that we're not only aware of, but having more and more discussions about, and somehow have a single thread to tie the story together and make it be in any way recognizable to the original Lord of the Flies. Yeah, I have no idea. I've, I've been enjoying watching uh, Twitter react to this, uh, this <laughs> announcement where uh, in 140 characters, they, they sort of sum up what the ending of the entire movie might be, like plane crashes, Everyone gets along just fine. <laughs> mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. Everyone is saved. You know, like, ugh, I just don't see how it, how it's going to be any good. Yeah. <laughs> I, um, I agree, obviously. And I'm just, I've been thinking a lot about what sort of classic books could be adapted and done in a way that does a gender flip. So in the YA world, the, there's the classic The Chocolate War by Robert Cormier. And it's about masculinity and peer pressure, among other things. And thinking about that book and the context it was written in and the years it was published in, like, it was a great book and really did a lot in the YA category and still holds pretty well up now. Yeah. And, you know, thinking about that, thinking about a, a contemporary remake with all female characters, I have no idea what that would look like. Like, the issue of time would be one of the problems, and um, setting, like, what would be the central theme of exploration here? You know, you wouldn't go into masculinity. You could certainly look at peer pressure, but, like, I think today's teenagers are a little savvier than that. I do, um, too. You know, and, and maybe it's just that we live in such a hyper-connected world that, you know, a teen who's feeling that sort of peer pressure would go on to their Tumblr and say, hey, this is happening, and then find sort of others who support them not doing the thing, and then they choose not to do the thing. Yeah, they go get new friends, and the book is over. Right. 
Which is not really a great story. No. <laughs> I mean, it's it's a great, like, situation to be in, but it doesn't make for the best storytelling. So, I'm, I'm thinking, too, back to the Lord of the Flies, like, would this look like something where the women are competing to win something? So, a la The Bachelor, like, are they competing to win a man on this island? Or is it about saving themselves and getting off the island? Which then would really explore issues of intersections and, and power and, you know, just social capital. Um, it, and then when I think about that, I think about two white men writing it. And it's just, <laughs> like, my brain can't comprehend what this could even look like. And there's so many other just just better people that could <laughs> right. potentially write this, right? Like, ah. Uh. Like we, we've mentioned, I feel like we've mentioned Stephanie quite a bit. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, she was on my list of like, if somebody were able to do something like this, it would be Stephanie. Yeah, and then I think about, um, do you pronounce her name Kendar? Kendar Blake? Uh-huh. Yeah, so like she has that book, um, Three Dark Crowns, out right now, where like the, the girls are all fighting and, you know, potentially going to kill each other to to win that one uh, coveted spot as the, the, the ruler of the kingdom, you know, like someone like her I could see writing something like this. Um, but ideally, the people aren't killing each other on the island to, to, <laughs> to, to rule the island. Um, although although then you have a horror, you know, if they're all uh, like, yeah. killing each other. I mean, you just, you, you twist the genre a little bit there. Yeah, there you go. Then Gretchen McNeil could uh, could, could jump in. Right, yeah. Uh, and write something. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not excited for this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have a confession to make, too. Yes. I've never read Lord of the Flies, and I have zero interest in reading Lord of the Flies. And that's okay. <laughs> I, th- I think you're okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> missing was, out on that. I kind of figured that there was not much I was missing out on. Um, but it, it got me thinking a little bit about something I saw Justina Ireland talking about on Twitter. In When people turn to remaking stories like this, is it because we're not reading as widely as we should in Ooh. schools and classrooms. Like, is this sort of a look at, like, how underread we are in that, like, rather than grasping for new sources of material, it's returning to the same well-trotted material and continuing to tell that same story over and over again instead of looking to new voices and perspectives and broadening the so-called Western canon. Yeah. No, it's wild you mentioned that. Um Recently, I was trying to poll some friends about diverse titles that they wish had been taught in their in their classrooms, mm-hmm. uh, and Lord of the Flies came up. And I, when I was finished screaming, I uh, <laughs> like I was wondering, I was like, "How have I failed my friends that these are the suggestions they're making?" Um, are 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 unfortunately some of the people I grew up with that not quite well read that they're uh, <laughs> they're making these kind of suggestions? Yeah, and and I wonder too, like, does it start in the classroom? Like they are forced to read so many certain books and either they find something that they love and end up creating this sort of lifelong love of reading or do they just struggle through and decide from the beginning that reading is totally not their thing or um, they connect to one book and that becomes like their sort of like reading experience. It's the only thing that they choose to experience. It's hard to say. Mm. What was the one book that you connected with? When you were in uh, in high school. Oh, God. Um, 
I know I hated more books than I liked. So <laughs> um, we did read Les Mis in my oh. senior year English class. And the class I had was set up as a like double block. So it was half English, half European history. Mm-hmm. And so like as we're reading Les Mis, we're also getting the, the context of the history um, at the same time, which That's, was... That sounds awesome. Yeah, I made it so much more accessible and also like just way more interesting um, from, you know, you're not reading it on its own. You're reading it in conjunction with like exactly what's going on in France at this time and like why this character would do this thing or why this plot point is important and what it tells about, you know, what they were thinking about at the time um, beyond like their own life in that place. What about you? What did you connect with? Uh, it's probably Fahrenheit 451. When, mm-hmm. when I was when I was in high school, um, like we really hadn't read any inter- anything interesting like that was like dystopia or sci-fi or anything like that yet, and that was the first one that sort of came across my desk as a teenager. And uh, I don't know, it made it made things feel a little more fun than than they had been for a lot of the books we'd been sort of forced to read, um, and it made me think in ways that the other books hadn't. Um, and just yeah, no, I'm I'm very thankful for the teachers that. Uh, gave us stuff that was a little different because um, for the most part it was lots of Shakespeare for some reason again and again and again. And again. <laughs> you know now that you say that and I'm trying to think like I don't remember reading any science fiction or fantasy in high school as an assigned reading it was all very much historical or uh, realistic in some sense. Yeah I had to get my sci-fi outside of classrooms so I went to a used bookstore by my house and bought Michael Crichton <laughs> all again and again and again. <laughs> I feel like that's everybody's gateway who hasn't been like living with it their whole lives, you know? Yeah, he's a good, he's a good one. <laughs> I mean, you see the movies or you hear the name and you're like, oh, okay. Yeah, that'll be my, <laughs> that'll be my open door to a much huger mm-hmm. kind of. But I mean, how many more stories will we be familiar with or how many more stories would stick with us if in high school, we read a lot more, if we read a lot more widely, or even had the opportunity to do a lot more independent reading and choose what we're reading. So we wanted to talk on this episode about one of our favorite things, which is books we're excited to read. Yes. And we thought, given that, you know, this is going to publish in... Like two weeks? The days leading up to the the change of the season, so yeah. uh, we thought, you know, let's let's do a little fall preview of what we're excited about and what we hope you put on your TBRs as well. So I'll start with one, and then you can go, and then I can go, and then you can go, so that we mix it up a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> so the first one on my list is um, one that I've already read, so I'm cheating a little bit. But it's I Am Not Your Perfect Mexican Daughter by Erica L. Sanchez, and it comes out in early October. It's about a girl named Julia who considers herself a quote-unquote imperfect Mexican daughter because she sees herself in that role as imperfect and sort of a disappointment to her parents over and over and over following the death of her sister. Um, her sister had been sort of this perfect daughter, the one that her parents were always talking about that... They just, they thought she was perfect. She sort of was, I don't want to say homebody, but she she liked being at home. She liked having this quiet life. Mm-hmm. But um, Julia starts to unravel like a whole stash of secrets about her sister following her death. 
and begins to understand that her quote-unquote perfect sister was not as perfect as she thought and instead was struggling with her own issues in the same way that Julia was, or Julia is, but she's doing so, or her sister did so in a much quieter way. So the, the book is really about the challenge of being a child of Mexican immigrants and the tug of following traditional family sort of um, roles and, and subscribing to cultural values and norms versus subscribing to more Western ideas. I don't want to say Western because Western is not the right word, but um, sort of finding a stake on your own and stepping out of what roles that you believe you're supposed to fit in within the family. Oh, goodness. That's a great summary. I hope they, they, they end up blurbing us on the paper uh, <laughs> back there. Um, so for me, one book I'm incredibly excited about is uh, Chainbreaker by uh, Tara Sim. Um, it's a sequel to a book called Timebreaker that came out last year. And it's uh, set in this uh, sort of steampunky uh, magic world where uh, these giant Big Ben-esque clocks uh, actually control time uh, around the cities that they're, they're built around. Um, and it focuses on a teen boy who is the, uh, he's the, he's an engineer that helps fix these clocks. Um, and when one of the clocks, uh, breaks down and is, uh, you know, sort of broken and, and, you know, all messed up, uh, it freezes up a town where his father lives and the, the town is frozen. His father's frozen in time and he's trying to figure out, uh, how he can basically save the day. Um, it was awesome. It's one of my favorite books that came out last year. Uh, and Chainbreaker is, uh, is the sequel. So I guess I can't really... <laughs> dig into what it's going to be about because I haven't read it yet and it comes out in uh, November and I'd also prefer not to spoil it for you. Um, it's a really fun uh, series and uh, yeah, I definitely keep an eye out for it. It's from um, it's out with Sky Pony, so it's with a smaller press. Um, so please go, please go look for it. So this is where I ask the question: Do you read the series books as they come out, or do you have to wait until they're all out to read them? I read them as they come out. Um, some series I'll wait. Um, like I haven't uh, finished reading, um, and I'm going to talk about it in a little bit, the Goal Seer trilogy from Ray Carlson. Um, like I read the first one, and then I decided, you know what, I'm going to wait until the other ones come out so I can have a nice like binge read fest. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, like the, the publishing industry part of my head is like, if you don't buy the second book, there might not be a third <laughs> one. You have a responsibility. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, so it's I try, <laughs> but sometimes <laughs> I want to do that binge read thing. Yeah, I have such a hard time. I'm not a huge series reader in part because I need them all to be out. Like, yeah. I'll forget what has happened in the first one by the time the second book comes out, and then I'll be mad that I need to reread the first one, and then I just won't read the second one because I'm mad. So I try to wait until they're all out, which then you know, just like you said, sometimes that is a problem in and of itself because you don't know then if the whole series will end up coming to together or, you know, yeah. yeah <laughs> I no, keep thinking, hard. like, I, I want to read the um, Libba Bray Diviners series because oh, yeah. it sounds like it's totally up my alley. But the book, the first book came out, I don't know, like four or five years ago. And then the second one came out, I think, last year. The third one's coming out this fall. I'm like, she needs to write faster. I need all four <laughs> of them because if I'm going to sit down, I want to sit down and be able to go through all of them at once because um, I'll be so mad that I have to wait. Yeah. Well, before I read Chainbreaker, I'm going to reread uh, Timekeeper. Um, 
you know, going back for seconds to do a terrible <laughs> one there. Um, yeah, but also because I enjoy the book so much. Yeah, that's that's the thing. It's I, I mean, I enjoy the books when I read them, but then I have that sense of like I shouldn't reread it because I've got these twelve thousand other books to read uh, as yes. well. So the struggle is real. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and with that, I'm going to talk about another standalone as my fall picks. Um, this is my second pick, and it's Moxie by Jennifer Matthew. So <laughs> I've been super unfairly judging this book, and I've been judging it entirely on its description um, because I can't let go of this <laughs> sense of... <laughs> So the book is about, I'll explain the premise of the book and then explain why the description has been bothering me. So it, it's about a girl who finds her mother's old feminist zines, zine, zines, and she's inspired to begin a feminist revolution in her school. It sounds really cool, right? Like, she's inspired by her mother and it's feminist and she's gonna, like, change how things are done in her school. But all I can think about when I read that description is, does this girl not have Tumblr? Like, is this literally her first exposure to talking about feminism or looking at the ideas of feminism. Um, And then I I had somebody tell me that there is a social media component to the story that that's used to sort of get the ball rolling further. And hearing that made me feel a lot better. So I blame the description and not the book um, (laughs) for just making me get so silly um, and angry over this description, but the book itself sounds like it'll be an awesome companion to Amy Reed's upcoming The Nowhere Girls, which I didn't put in my list, but it's also about girls who sort of band together and start a revolution against uh, rape culture in their high school. So um, Moxie's a little bit wider in terms of like feminist revolution, and then Amy Reed's is more on the the rape culture. All right. Um, let's see. For let's see. What's another one on my list? Uh, so I, I'm really excited to read uh, Top Ten by Katie Cartungo. Um, so I, I love her YA books. They're kind of like getting a hug from somebody. <laughs> I, I don't know if you read Fireworks, but that's just that book was just delightful about boy bands and everything. Um, this one in particular is about uh, two best friends who make top ten lists for fun. Um, and as their graduation gets closer, they start sort of counting down the top 10 most memorable moments in their friendship uh, and started to realize that maybe maybe they're going to be more than friends. I don't know what's what's Ooh. going on as we're as we're looking back on our friendship. Uh, is it too late? Um, and it strikes me as, as very much like a like a YA high fidelity kind of situation, which I am just all about. I love those uh, the sort of well, I love that very sad man Nick Hornby book where he's listing his, his, <laughs> his breakups and everything like that. And his, uh, so it kind, of, it kind of feels like this is like a YA contemporary that was kind of written for me. So I'm really excited to, uh, to dive in and check it out. And Katie just writes these great, just these great YA friendship books. So I'm, I'm, I'm psyched to, to read that one when it comes out in, um, I think it comes out in October. That's pretty really- soon. I'm really sad to say I haven't read any of her books, but every single one, when I've read the description, sounds like something I would be interested in. So I feel like this, Fireworks is for you. That one fireworks? is too right. Yeah, it's like I'm very... writing this down right now. Though this one sounds really great, too. All right, Fireworks. I got it down. <laughs> so the problem with our podcast is we're going to build each other's own reading lists even higher, right? Oh, dear. <laughs> so my third pick for fall reading is uh, You Bring the Distant Near by Mitali Perkins. 
and it's an intergenerational novel about the Indian immigration experience, which is totally up my alley. Like, intergenerational stories I love, and immigration stories I really enjoy. Um, Perkins, her books in the past have worked for me really well, and this is her first YA after writing quite a few middle grade titles. I heard her speak at KidLitCon, must have been, I think, three or four years ago now, and she has this, like, super infectious, bubbly, wonderful personality, and, like, the, the sort of enthusiasm she has for her passions really does come through in her book, so I'm eager to read this one. It also has a gorgeous cover. Oh, nice. I'm going to look it up. Uh, let's see. Next up on mine, um, oh, goodness, I'm so excited for it. It comes out in... I think it's going to be out by the time this podcast hits is a uh, war cross uh, Marie Lou's next book. Um, Marie Lou just writes all these just wonderfully exciting, intense, like action packed stories that are just impossible to, you know, stop reading once you've started. Um, and this one, you know, we talked about ready player one a little bit earlier. It feels like sort of a YA uh, ready player one type of story where, um, uh, teenagers log into this very, very popular game that's now sort of become this uh, gigantic escape from the everyday life for, for everyone all over the world. Um, and it's about a teen girl who uh, is a hacker uh, getting involved in the game and tries to get involved in one of the big competitions uh, going on in the game uh, and sort of spirals into this uh, this dark world uh, wrapped up in this uh, online video game. So, yeah, I'm pretty excited to check it out because... Anything Marie Lu does with a you know slice of sci-fi in it, I'm uh, I'm very much on board for. So that's uh, yeah, I'll probably be reading that by the time this podcast goes up. Is that a standalone or is it part of a series? I think it's a duology. Okay. Um, yeah, I think I think it's two books. Man, duologies are my favorite way series work. Yes. <laughs> because because the the struggle of um, waiting till they're all out is way way smaller. <laughs> Plus, you know, you're not getting that middle book, which is often not the best one because it's, you know, it has it's the cliffhanger. It does. But it also just like it's it's so much like building the world versus like entering it and then exiting it. Mm-hmm. So, no, but that sounds awesome. Um, my next pick, number four, is A Line in the Dark by Melinda Lowe. And all I really needed to be excited about this book was the fact it's Melinda Lowe. Who I mean, is, that's really all you need. Right, right. I've read every one of her books, and I trust her writing, and just, you know, whatever she writes, I'm, I'm interested in reading it, because I know it's going to be good, um, whether or not it's, like, the genre within way that I usually read. Um, I'll read it anyway. But the tagline for this book is perfect, and I have to share it, and it is. Yes. That it's a story about love, loyalty, and murder. Dun, dun, dun. All right. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, bonus that this one features queer girls, which Melinda has written in all of her books, I believe. And she does such a fabulous job with that, that I can only imagine that this book is going to be no different. Let's see. Next up on my list. Um, you know, I was mentioning series that I want to binge read over the next uh, couple of months, especially with uh, my little one on the way. Um, the, the third book in Ray Carson's uh, Gold Seer trilogy is coming out. It's uh, Into the Bright Unknown. Uh, I actually haven't read the second book, uh, so I'm really excited to do that that thing we've been just talking about where we uh, read whole series uh, at once. And um, the first book um, is, is called Walk on Earth, a Stranger. It came out, um, came out like two years ago. Uh, I think it 
Uh, I might be wrong. I feel like it got nominated for for, for something, something fairly big, didn't it? Yeah. It was like a National Book Award nominee. I feel I feel like it was. Yeah, so it's uh it's about the gold rush. Uh, it's a teenager and family making it across the country to you know go get all that gold that seems to be coming <laughs> out of the water. Um, but there's a spin of magic in it where uh, the main character uh, can actually actually detect gold uh, all around her. Um, so you know if it's just a little little fleck someplace, she can like sense uh, the gold is there, sort of like someone that can detect water. Um, but what does that mean in this sort of I don't know, this sort of time, you know, in American uh, history where, like, people were super violent, you know? They were killing one another to get all this this wealth that seems to be springing from the earth. Uh, so it's not so much a gift as it is somewhat of a curse where people are people are coming after her. Um, and the first book was really exciting. It's also really big. It's like this, like, 400-plus page book. Uh, and so are the second and third books. So I'm excited to have a nice, uh, you know, some nice time on the couch getting, getting yeah. lost in Carson's world. Awesome. So my my last pick is There's Someone Inside Your House by Stephanie mm-hmm. Perkins. Um, everybody sort of knows Stephanie Perkins as this YA romance writer, and she's taking a stab at writing horror. Haha, <laughs> did you like that? Taking a stab at writing taking horror? A, I see what you did. <laughs> um, <laughs> so... Perkins, I know just from her Twitter feed and another thing she's written, she's a huge horror geek, like loves horror. And so I have read the descriptions and I've read some reviews of this book and have been laughing at people who don't seem to understand that she is playing with a lot of horror tropes in this one. Mm -hmm. So I'm super excited to read it because I'm pretty sure that it's going to be great and like check all of my boxes when it comes to horror because I love horror tropes and I love when they're written in such a way that they're sort of ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like this is going to do all that. Nice. I'm excited about that. And we should totally talk about authors that jump genre at some point yes. because I think it's amazing when they do that and they do it well. Um, so I guess my last pick is uh, Forest of a Thousand Lanterns by Julie Dow. It, uh, it's sort of like a, an East Asian uh, retelling of the evil queen. So, you know, the evil queen, Snow White. Um, I don't know. It's been on the top of my to be red pile for, for quite a while. It's getting just a ton of buzz. Um, and I feel like book Twitter will be really mad at me because I've definitely had it for months and I haven't read it yet. It's just, <laughs> the arc is just sitting there. Um, yeah, it's a debut that I'm, I'm really excited to dive into. Uh, I love retellings, um, especially when they do something so interesting with it. Um, like Marissa Meyer Cinder is something I'm just a total sucker for. Uh, so this is right mm-hmm. up my alley, and I'm, uh, I'm excited to see what's, uh, what's inside. So before we sign off, I have a yes. question for you. And I didn't prep oh, you no. for this, so I know. I know it's going to be great. But it's important. And the question is this. What way will you first hand your baby when your baby is ready to oh, read YA? Oh, man, the first YA book my baby will read. Um... That, y- that you'll give Yeah, to baby. yeah. Because they'll probably sneak plenty before you <laughs> start. This is true. Um, oh, dear. I'm, like, looking at my bookshelf now in, like, a panic. Like, what, <laughs> what one would my, my child read first? Um... Yeah, it might end up being like a Brandy Colbert book, you know, um, mm-hmm. like my wife and I both really love Point. Um, and I know that's not exactly like a happy book <laughs> at all. Yeah. Um, but no. like it's a, just so beautifully written. Um, I'm just such a big fan of everything she does. Um, 
maybe that. Um, my, my wife is chiming in from the living room and saying that uh, we'll have our, our baby read The Serpent King, uh, which I also like okay. a lot. You know, it's a great, uh, powerful story about friendships and families. Um, yeah, maybe maybe one of those two. Oh, goodness. It was really hard. <laughs> I know. <laughs> no, those are great answers, though. And they sort of, both of those sort of highlight just what a YA book is without putting a perfect definition on what a YA book okay. is. Did you yeah, like no, that? I, I, I bookended this really well, didn't yeah, I? <laughs> that was good. Probably the hate you give also. First... That would be... Oh yeah, that yeah. Very high up on that list because those are the, you know, those are sort of conversations we're gonna have to have with our our child, and I feel like that book would be a great way to uh, to sort of have them. Absolutely, I agree. I agree. So I think that is all for our very first show, and uh, we'll be back again in two weeks. So thanks for tuning in to Book Riot's newest podcast. Hey YA. Bye. We'll talk to you later.